0: Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Well, good morning Ascent. So good to see you guys. My name is Blake. If I haven't met you, I have the privilege of being uh, the pastor of this church family. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in 3 John. We're going to continue our series uh, in this short little letter that the Apostle John wrote to his dear friend and church leader, Gaius. And uh, this whole series, we've kind of framed it around this idea of what John, I believe, is trying to teach this church and teach this church leader about a spirit that is in the human heart naturally. And that spirit that is in us from birth is the spirit of, you know what, it's my life and it's my rules. Now, you are all by nature given to this spirit. And if you don't think you are, then you are probably the most of all of us given to this spirit. And by that I mean it's this idea that, you know what, this is my life. I am who I am. So I then get to determine what I do and what I don't do. And a lot of us, we live our lives based upon what feels right. Or, you know, we listen to other people and we think, well, that's a good idea, so I'll do that. We're making all the decisions based upon what we want to do. And uh, the Bible comes in and Jesus comes in and he says, actually, it's a little bit different. Your life is not your own. It's God's life. Everything you are and everything you have comes from God and it is for God. And the Apostle Paul says that if you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. That Jesus Christ poured out his blood to make you his own. So it's not your life, it's God's life. And if you're a Christian, which means you're a Christ follower, then that means you don't live by your own rule anymore. You live by the rule of Jesus. To be a Christian is to kneel down and to take off my my crown that makes me the king of my life. To take down my crown that makes me the queen of my life. And I say, Jesus, whatever you want is what I want. I want to align my will with your will. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the ultimate goal of the Christian life, like if you want to know where we're going with this thing, is that you would have the mind of Christ, meaning you would do what Jesus would do if he were you. You would think what Jesus would think if he were you. Now, if you guys got to see my thought life, I would no longer be your pastor. I mean, and and that's probably true for all of us. Like, none of you want your your thoughts to be up on the screen right now. Like, can you imagine if I had the technology to to put your thoughts up there? You guys would run out of here so fast you wouldn't believe it. We have a long way to go. It's a lifetime journey. But John says this is the posture we have to have. And and really, this is, um, I think, kind of a a misconception in the Christian faith. There has been for a, a while this idea that to become a Christian means that you pray a prayer and then you do some things. And... For a lot of us, this is how we came to Christ, and I'm I'm not trying to demean that, but I'm just saying that it cannot end there. So when you came to Christ, you might have prayed a prayer, and you might do some practices. In fact, you should, but that's not what Christianity is all about. It's it's not all about a, a guy standing up here and scaring you and then saying, now repeat after me, and these magical words come out of your mouth, and then bada bing, bada boom, you're a Christian, and now the next thing is you start doing practices. And what a lot of new Christians want me to do is to give them a list of what is right and what is wrong. Like, can I go to this rated R movie? Like, is it okay if I go to the bar? Like, is it okay if I smoke? Like, is it okay? They want specific things about what we are to do and what we are not to do. And Jesus comes along and he says, it's not necessarily about a prayer, although prayer is a part of it. And it's not necessarily about practices, although practices are a part of it. In fact, what it's about is a person and a posture. The person of Jesus. To be a Christian means you see Jesus for who he is and you can't unsee him. Like, it's not a matter of religion, it's a matter of this is the greatest treasure in the world. And I found him. This is the God of the universe who came to flesh to make a way for me to have a way to God. It starts with that posture of I would sell everything I own to know this guy. And then out of that comes a posture. And that posture is a posture of open handedness. Jesus, whatever you would call me to do in this season of life, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up over and over and over and over again because I'm human. But my posture is one of, you know what, I want to do what you would call me to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. I'm so enthralled with the person of Jesus, and I believe that what he said and what he did counted for me. Blake Farley gets in on this thing, which is crazy to me. And it should blow some of your minds, and it doesn't. That's because you haven't fully seen the person of Jesus. Because if you understood what he did for you, oh my goodness, it'd be purple dust everywhere. Your minds would just be popping. And then out of that comes a posture of Jesus, whatever you want. And in fact, that's what we saw last week as we looked at this idea of a lot of people in our culture say, you know, Blake, I I just believe that it's my truth. You know, I get to do what I want to do based upon uh, the way I live. And we looked at that word truth and we said, really, that word truth is the word reality. So you're living in your own reality. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, this is the way things actually work. This is the reality you are to live in and you are to walk in that reality. And uh, there's a pastor named John Piper. I've got his uh, quote. They should put it up on the screen here in a minute. And really, John Piper sums up my entire 40-minute sermon in a paragraph, which makes me feel a little inadequate as a pastor, but uh, that's that's what we got. All right, so here's what Piper says. He says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. This is what repentance means, friends. You see how he he didn't mention a single practice. He didn't tell you what to do here or there. He just told you what his posture was towards God and towards God's word. And this is what I tried to get across last week, and as we come into this week, the reason I'm doing so much recap is because we're going to talk about the hardest thing, I think, for the Christian life, especially living in America, where we have all sorts of wealth. And the idea today we're going to look at is, you know, it's my life, it's my rules, and it's my stuff. And God comes in and he says, no, it's not your life, it's Jesus' rule, and everything you have is from God and for God. Now, let me give you. Uh, I'm going to give you three kind of uh, things to think about before we jump in, because as soon as I say my stuff, and you guys like even think the pastor's hinting about talking about money, everybody tenses up. Uh, which I understand that I wasn't planning on preaching on money. Uh, this is why I preach verse by verse through the Bible so that you guys know I'm not like up here trying to sell stuff. I feel more uncomfortable than any of you. I promise every time I preach on money. Uh, so I, I, I want to give you kind of three things to think about before we jump in. And then I'm going to, I'm going to say this for the tech team because I didn't tell them before, but I'm going to read the whole letter that John wrote to Gaius and then I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in uh, and we're actually going to cover half a verse today. So that does not mean the sermon will be shorter, but we're going to cover half a verse today. So three things. Number one, I want you to pay attention close. God doesn't need your money. Like God's not on his throne going, oh my gosh, if they don't give me 10% of their money, I don't know what we're going to do when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. Like No, he, 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 the Bible says he owns everything. And in fact, the gospel is spreading most quickly in areas where it is illegal, where there's like no money flowing. That's where the gospel goes the fastest. God doesn't need your money to do what he wants to do. Number two, and I think this is really important, and if you don't believe me, you need to find a new church, and that is I don't need your money. Like, really, I don't need it. I promise you I did not plant a church to get rich. If I did, I am really dumb (laughs) and not very good at math. Uh, (laughs) I love that laugh. Uh, Because, quite honestly, I'm doing this because I feel called to do it. And uh, as a church plant, we have went through worse financial times than you can even imagine. And God has pulled us through. So like, I'm not even worried about it. We went through this thing called COVID, uh, which was a pandemic. I don't know if you guys were around for that or not. But uh, (laughs) there was a time in which uh, Taylor and I, and I, I don't tell you this to brag or anything, but Taylor and I didn't even take a salary for like four months. But we trusted in God and God pulled us through. And and again, I'm not asking for any applause there or anything. I'm just letting you know where my heart is as a pastor. Like, I really don't need your money. And if you think I need your money and you think your money can manipulate this church, the door's right there. Like, we've had people who say, I'm going to stop giving if you don't do this thing. And I say, okay, goodbye. Like, (laughs) take it somewhere else. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. And number three, it's a matter of the heart. If God doesn't need your money and I don't need your money, why does Jesus talk about money more than heaven and hell combined? Why do I stand up here and very uncomfortably talk about money and stuff? It's because Jesus says where your treasures are, there your heart is. And I care deeply about your heart. And Jesus cares even more deeply about your heart. And quite honestly, like just be honest with me, the reason why you push back on this more than anything else is because you know that to be true. Like the minute I start talking about money, there's something inside of you that goes, oh, what's he going to say? And part of that's because there's been a lot of bad teachers who have abused this teaching, and I understand that. But let's be honest, a real big part of it is, is that money's an idol for us. And we are so interconnected with our stuff that we are so afraid somebody's going to ask us to part from it. And that is why Jesus talks about it. So let me pray for us. Uh, I'm going to read the whole of 3 John, and then we're going to talk about half a verse. Father God, thank you for your generosity. Lord, thank you for the way you've loved us in Jesus Christ that you, you gave. You so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son. Lord, I pray that we would be generous, open-handed people, seeing that everything comes from you and everything is for you. God, that you've given us everything we have for a specific reason. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to obey you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 3 John. Uh, it's the shortest book in the Bible. It's also the only scripture, this is interesting, that doesn't mention the name of Jesus. And a big reason for that is persecution. So you'll notice he says the name instead of Jesus. But it's the only one in the entire New Testament that doesn't mention the name of Jesus. So John says this, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And I didn't get to talk about this last week, but I think that I'm not going to preach through the whole book. Just I want to stop here for a second. <laughs> You're like, oh boy, he's one verse in. Uh, My dear friend Gaius, uh, I didn't get to talk about this last week, but I think it's really cool that there's a book in the New Testament that is written to one guy. Like, I think some of you might have came for that today. Like, you feel like God doesn't care about you. God is big, and God has more concerns than you. And yet, in the Scripture, we see a book of the Bible written to not a church, but to one guy. I think that's really cool. So it says this, To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way, And are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diatrophes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. I don't want to send you a Facebook message. I don't want to send you a text message. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. Father, I just want to pray one more time and thank you for your word. I pray that you would help me preach it well. I pray that you'd help uh, my listeners listen well. I pray everything that I say that is untrue would be blown away like the chaff in the wind. It's in your name I pray. Amen. One of the uh, darkest periods in Christian history is a period called the Crusades. Uh, This was a time in which Christians went out and killed in the name of God, the God of life. uh, And they came and they said, we're going to kill in the name of this God. It's an evil blemish on the Christian history. And what I found interesting was the Crusaders, the soldiers who killed in the name of Yahweh, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, when they were baptized, they'd be baptized with their sword. But when they went under the water, they would hold their sword out of the water, which is to say, Jesus, you have all of me except for my sword. You have everything except for what I do with this thing. I am fully baptized except for my sword so that I can go out and kill with it. And what Jesus says very clearly is if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He he wants all of you. He's not interested in, you know, hey, just give me a little portion of your life, Blake. Give me Sunday, Blake. No, he wants everything. And he's very clear about it. In fact, he says that if you want to find your life, you have to be willing to lose your life. You have to be willing to let go of everything. And I think if there was a a modern correlation to that today, Christians, uh, maybe some of you, I'd be baptizing you. And you'd go under the water, but you'd have your wallet up in the air. (laughs) That'd be the only thing you didn't let get under the water. Jesus can be Lord of everything except for my wallet. And in reality, Jesus says, I want it all. And we're going to look at this week and then really next week, why? Why does God care about your money? But this week, I want to look at just the first reason. And number one, the reason God gives you money is because it's a test. Uh, But before we can talk about that, we have to understand this foundational Christian belief, and that is everything comes from God. Now, some of you, you get upset when I talk about money because you say, Blake, it's my money. Like, I worked for it. You say God gave it to me, but I'm the one who showed up to work. I'm the one who started the business. I'm the one who invested the money wisely. I did this myself. And I would just say to you kindly uh, that that's just not true. Uh, Even if you're not a Christian here today, you have to understand that luck comes into play a lot when it comes to money. Now, I wouldn't call it luck. I would call it providence. But if you're not a Christian, you might call it luck. Uh, In fact, in uh, the 1980s, there was one high school, one high school in the whole world, Uh, that had a computer it was lakeside school and guess who happened to attend that school a guy named bill gates bill gates is quoted as saying this if there wasn't a lakeside school there would be no microsoft see even the, the richest man in the world understands that a part of his success comes from nothing but luck and i would say to bill gates actually it's all providence and wherever you are in life is a matter of providence you say i started this business well who gave you the intellect who decided that you'd be born in America where you can make the type of money? You could have been born with all the same skills, but you're born in a, in a village in Africa, and you're living on a dollar a day like everybody else. It's providence. God has given it to you. And it's more than just money in your paycheck. It's your house. Every time we say, man, I'm so blessed. God blessed me with this house, or he blessed me with this car, or he blessed me with this trip. You need to understand every blessing he has given you is for a purpose. So when I talk about giving, I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about everything. That the Christian believes literally everything I have is from the grace of God and by the grace of God. And the reason God does this is because it's a test. Now, you might look at me and you're like, Blake, uh, the word test kind of gives me chills. uh, Because you remember back to high school uh, or college. Remember my first college test? Uh, I scored a four out of a (laughs) hundred. It was at that point, I was like, I probably need to look at other career paths. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't do math. You know, I talk for a living. I, they started, I did great in math until they started putting letters in there. And I was like, what? Why? I, th- I thought that was English. You know? So, well, but when we think about tests, I want us to think of it in, in the terms of like when you work out, as, it's a test. And what that test does, like when you're preparing for a run or you're trying to lift weights, a test does two things. It reveals what you already have and it prepares you for what's next. So when I go lift weights, it reveals how much strength I already have. But there's something else going on. It's also strengthening me for next time. Uh, I did a leg workout uh, last week and I've been crying about it ever since. Uh, cause you know, like when you don't work out for a while and then you work out and it just progressively gets worse, like it hurts after, but like I literally, I sat down for music after the music earlier and I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to stand back up. <laughs> it hurt me. It, it revealed what I don't have as far as strength in my legs, but it also, the, the scientists and the doctors tell me, is it strengthening me for the next time I lift? I should be able to lift more weights. It shouldn't hurt as bad because it's preparing me for what's next. And when we think about our possessions and why God has given them to us, there's three kind of tests that he gives us. And these tests are there to reveal what is already there in our hearts, but it's also to prepare us for what is next. So if you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, just go ahead and write this down anyways. (laughs) Number one is it tests your ability to steward. It tests your ability to steward. So when when we look at the, the scripture all the way back in Genesis, there's this really interesting thing. God is ruling and reigning with humans. Uh, We tend to think of like Eden as a place where they didn't work. They just ran around naked and ate fruit all day, Uh, which doesn't sound like paradise to me, honestly. Like, love you guys, but I like your clothes on. Uh, But really what they were doing is throughout this time is, is they were working the land. God put them there before the fall to have dominion. You were made to work. Uh, In fact, in the new creation, work doesn't cease. A lot of us think, we think of heaven, we think of the second coming of Jesus, we think of this kind of separation of body and uh, spirit. We're kind of just like floating around in clouds in a never-ending church service, which sounds a lot more like hell to me, just to be honest. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, I don't want to hear myself talk that long, and you don't either. Uh, What it is really is it's everything we love about this earth with nothing that we don't love about it. There's going to be mountains, there's going to be work, there's going to be industry, there's going to be culture. And we're all doing it for the name of Jesus. We're all using our gifts and our skills, and we're fully fulfilled in the work that we are doing. And what the Bible tells us, and this is really mind-blowing, is that we are going to rule over angels. I don't, I don't exactly know how it works. The Apostle Paul like, just kind of casually throws that in there. It's like, Paul, wait a minute, we'd like a little bit more explanation on that. But he says we're going to rule And Jesus says that we will rule based upon what we do in this life. This life is a test for the next one. So Jesus gives you everything you have to see how you steward what you were given. Like You are being prepared to rule over angels with what you have. And your reward will be in proportion with how you steward what you have in this life. And stewardship is not about the amount of money. You can be the richest man in the world and steward it poorly. Or you can be the poorest man in the world and steward it well. Uh, And we tend to think in in terms of black and white in our culture, like all the rich people are evil. They're taking all the money. Uh, Or some people think all the rich people are the good people. Or you think all poor people are evil because they're foolish and they don't know what they're doing. But in reality, it's not that way. There's godly poor people and there's evil poor people. There's godly rich people and there's uh, evil rich people. It goes both ways. And the point is not to compare what you have with somebody else. The point is to steward well what God has given you. And you know who knows how well you're stewarding it? Only you and God. You're the only two. I cannot look at somebody and say, ooh, that wasn't a very good stewardship of God's money. Because you can look at a really rich guy who buys a big house and a private jet, and you can say, look at that. He is a heathen. He doesn't steward God's money well. When in reality, he bought the big house so he could invite his neighbors in. And it's a part of his evangelism strategy to bring more people to Christ. Or with the private jet, I remember hearing a story of a really wealthy guy uh, who used his jet to to fly people when they needed to go somewhere. Uh, My grandparents, in fact, uh, their their oldest son had died, and uh, this guy who's really wealthy said, here, take my private jet so you can get home. They're on the other side of the country. Take my jet so you can get home to be there with your family. Is that godly or ungodly? That's godly. He stewarded that well. And then on on the same side, there's poor people who are totally negative. And by the way, uh, negativity and gratitude have so much to do with giving. The person who is always thinking somebody's out to get them will never be generous. The person who's always thinking that life's got one up on them can never be generous. Because our giving comes out of an overflow of gratitude of what God has given us. And there's a story in the Gospel of Mark of a lady who had nothing. She had two coins that are even smaller than what a penny would be in our day. And she throws them into the offering plate joyfully. And Jesus pulls his disciples together. And he says, boys, I want you to look at something. This lady gave more than anybody else. And the disciples see the guys dropping in big checks and they're like, Jesus, no. And he said, no, no, no. She gave more than anybody else because she gave out of what she did not have. Her sacrifice was greater than anybody else's. So you can steward well and not have a lot of money, and you can steward badly and have a lot of money. The point is, how do you steward towards God's kingdom? It's a test that prepares you for what's next, and it also reveals where you already are. All right, so number two, is it test who the master is in our lives? Uh, Jesus, one of his most famous quotes on giving is this quote where he says, You cannot serve two masters. Now, we're in the Bible belts. most of you know it. Uh, You might have won, like, the the kids' uh, Awanas, where you knew all the verses, and you're like, I know what he's going to say. But if you didn't know what I was going to say, you would not fill in the blank with what Jesus fills the blank, blank in with. Jesus says, no one can serve God and money. But if you didn't know that, what you would think is no one can serve God and the devil, or no one can serve God and evil or darkness. But that's not what he says. He says, no one can serve God and money. Because Jesus knows more than anything else that what locks us down, what keeps us from our affections with God, what keeps us from living the Christian life is not necessarily the devil, but it is actually our money and our money mastering us. And see, this is why I'm a big proponent of the discipline of tithing. Uh, Tithing is a very specific thing. Some people like they give money and they always call it a tithe. I'm not mad at you for doing that, Uh, but it's just not. The Bible actually has a a thing that what tithing is. Tithing is giving the first 10% of your money, to the Lord's work. The very first 10%. So before I pay an electricity bill, before I pay anybody else, this is the first 10% that goes, and it goes to God's work. Uh, and the reason for that is because it shows your money who the master is. See, my master is not the electrical company, my master is not my mortgage, my master is none of those things. My master is Jesus. And so the very first thing I give is towards Jesus. And the amount can scare people, and it's supposed to. Like the reason it's 10% is because it's supposed to make you on the inside go a little bit like, oh, I'd have to reorient my life around that. And the point is, Jesus is saying, exactly. (laughs) You've got to reorient your life around me. You've got to trust that I'm your master and money's not your master. And you might say, Blake, well, you know, times are hard. Times are tough. And I totally get that. And look, I'm not your boss. I can't tell you what to do. I'm just telling you for your own soul, it'd be good to do it. But I do find it funny that people will use that thing of like, you know, uh, times are tough for me because the more money we know, we know this from statistics, the more money that you have, the less likely you are to give. In, in fact, uh, this stat has always blown my mind. It comes from the National Christian Foundation. Uh, it says during the Great Depression, 3.3% of Christians tithed. The Great Depression. How many Christians tithe today? 2.5%. <laughs> See, it's... it's it's not a matter, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but it's not a matter. It's not a matter of you not having enough. It's a matter of who you trust in. And you trust in money to be your master. You think it's going to be a better master. And see, some people will say, Blake, money and things are not my master. And, uh, and then on the same token, they make all their decisions based upon money. Like for most people, and if you're not a Christian, this is fine. This is the way you're supposed to make decisions. It makes sense to make decisions if there's not a life beyond this one. But for most people, if they get offered a new job, and I would say, you're going to get a new job, and you've got to move across the country, and you're going to do the same work. All you have to do is move, and you're going to make $50,000 more a year. Most of you would be like, yep, sign me up. <laughs> you know, I'm on my way. See you later. And I would say, if that's the case for you, then, then who's your master? Who's telling you where to go? It's money. Now, I'm not saying money doesn't come into the effect of our decision when we're making decisions, but there's a lot more things that, if you're a Christian that should come into play. Like, has God placed me and my church family on purpose for a purpose? Has, has God uh, been doing something in the, the life of my family? Is the faith of my wife going to be better if we stay here? Is the faith of my husband going to grow more if we stay here? Maybe God has given you connections with your neighbors or connections with people at work, and those things take precedent over the money. And so you might be one of those crazy people who turn down $50,000 for the same amount of work because your master is not money, your master is Jesus. And I just ask you guys, you don't have to tell me, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your own heart of hearts, what would be the case for you if I were to offer you that? If I were to say, hey, 50,000 more, less work, but Jesus wants you here, what would you choose? Which this brings out kind of a greater thing that I see in the church a lot of times, and that is we don't actually treasure Jesus above everything else. Uh, A pastor that I know uh, died this past week unexpectedly. I just saw it on Facebook. But I I love the post that his, um, his son wrote about him. He said, my dad is now with his Lord and I believe he's reunited with two children. He's never got to meet before two miscarriages. He said, I believe that they're in his arms now, but he said, but greater than all of that is that he's in the presence of his savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what I love about that post is most people don't say that most people, when they're talking about their loved one, they talk about what their loved one's doing. You know, they're fishing because they love fishing or, or they're up there giving somebody a hard time or they're up there with some family member. When in reality, the greatest treasure for every single one of us, if you've seen the person of Jesus, it's none of those things. Those things are great, they're awesome, but I get to be with Jesus. I get to see him face to face. I mentioned John Piper at the beginning of the sermon. He asked a horrifying question in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. I mean, it is scary. If you let it mess with you, it will scare you. The question is this, if you could have everything in heaven you wanted, No sickness. All your kids were there with you. Reunited with all your family members. All the money in the world. But Jesus wasn't there. Or you could have a place without all of those things and Jesus was there. What would you choose? And that is a question that pierces me to the heart. (laughs) Because it forces me. It tests me. It reveals what is already inside of me. And it shows me sometimes that my greatest affection is not Jesus Christ. And the reason why I love tithing is because I am so good at lying to myself. I can say I'm stewarding my money well, and in reality, I'm just buying things that I want for myself. What tithing does is it forces me every single month to say, no, money, you will not be my master. I'm sending you away. And to be honest with you, some people have this idea that money, like tithing, is a vending machine where you put it in and God brings it all back to you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor, but it's like, I was down on my, my last bill, $60 left. And I gave the money to the Lord and then I came home and there was a check for $60,000. Amen, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't have a story like that, okay? (laughs) Here's what tithing does for me. I have 10% less money (laughs) to live my life on. I I mean, really, mathematically, I have 10% less money to live my life on. And so you know what that forces me to do? Actually rely on God. Like I actually have to pray, God, I'm praying for your daily bread because without it, I don't know how this is all going to make sense. It forces you to jump out of the airplane. Uh, my wife is a she has skydived. she wants to do it again. I don't know what's wrong with her. Uh, <laughs> need to get an MRI, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, she, she loved it. you know she jumped out of the plane. and her faith and my faith are different in this sense. Uh, because for me, uh, you know I have faith that the parachute worked, otherwise I wouldn't let her go. You know I, I had faith that the guy who was flying the plane knew what he was doing. Uh, I had faith that the guy jumping knew what he was doing. That's only because I wasn't there, though. Uh, She met this guy. He was crazy. She still strapped herself to him. Uh, That's another sermon illustration. But um, (laughs) uh, I had faith that it was all going to work. But you know who wasn't even there? Me. Because I was afraid if I even showed up to the place, she would rope me into it. And I do not want to jump out of an airplane. Taylor actually had faith. She actually took the jump because she had true faith. And in reality, you know, when it comes to, to money especially and stuff especially, your faith in Jesus really shows up when you're willing to be generous with it. Like you really actually show that you believe it when you do it. It's, it's, a lot of people say, you know, I give my time. And time is so good to give. That's a big part of it. But the reason why you're so much more likely to give your time than your money is because for a lot of us, money is God. <laughs> and I'll part with time. But, but like the crusaders with the sword in the air, I will not part with what is mine. And, and look... I'm not telling you that Jesus calls you to give everything away. I'm, I'm not one of those people who say you should give everything to the poor, give all of your money to the church, because I believe stewardship is much more than that. Uh, my wife and I, we went on a trip to Napa Valley this past uh, summer. We spent uh, you know about $2,000 that we'd saved up for, and we went on a trip. Now, you might say, Blake, you should have gave that $2,000 to the poor, or you should have gave that $2,000 uh, to a cent. And I would simply say that I was stewarding the money just as well when I took her on a trip as I would have been if I was giving money to the church, because... Jesus tells me to love my wife as he loved the church. And so guess what? I'm going to take my wife on trips. I'm going to give her things, and I want to take her to places and, and do things for her because I believe that that shows the world how much I love my wife. And when somebody complains to me, I can tell them exactly that. It's a testimony. One day, God willing, Taylor and I are going to have kids, and I refuse to allow them to be pastor's kids who hate the church and hate Jesus. I'm going to take them to Disney World. I'm going to take them places. We're going to do things. And if you guys don't like it, I'm sorry. Because I want to love them the way my heavenly father has loved me. And he's lavished things upon me that I do not deserve. He's given me grace in areas I do not deserve. Mm -hmm. See, so when you think about your money and your stuff, you've got to look at it holistically. But you know in your heart of hearts, if Jesus is your master or money is your master. Here's the last one. So we said it's a test. It tests your ability to steward. It tests who the master is in our lives. And then uh, finally, it says this. Verse 3. Not verse 3. Number 3. Is it tests your faith in the promises of Jesus. It really tests our faith in the gospel. As Christians, what we believe is that God gave His one and only Son. In fact, we're never more like God than when we are giving. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so as, as we think about these things, uh, we, we must understand that if we believe Jesus has given us this, and we believe Jesus is the Lord of our life, then we have to actually listen to what He says. And trust in his promises. Jesus, when he's talking about money and things, he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Trust in me, for I will never forsake you. It's easy to say you believe that, but are you willing to jump out of the airplane and actually trust him to believe that? Uh, He says, I will care for your daily needs. I'll give you your daily bread. If you believe the gospel, you believe Jesus Christ has come and died for your sins. He's given you everything. You are a son or daughter of God you believe that, does it not change the way that you spend your money? See, and I originally thought, and Molly, you can go ahead and come up. I originally thought that this message uh, was going to be about love. If you were here last week, you're OCD and you took notes and you said, Blake, you're supposed to talk about love. Why are you talking about money? Uh, But as you look at the biblical view of what love is, you could almost take the word love and replace it with the word sacrifice. This is what love is, is to give. To say you love God means I sacrifice for God. To say I love Taylor means I sacrifice for Taylor. And in our culture, love is often like a feeling. You know, I get little warm fuzzies in my stomach around you, or I enjoy being around you, and we call that love. And that's why a lot of our marriages fail. Because anybody who's been married for, I don't know, 30 minutes, (laughs) knows that the warm fuzzies are not always there. I'm sure that Taylor has multiple days in the week where there are no warm fuzzies. In fact, I know that there are multiple times in the week where there's no warm fuzzies. But the love Jesus has for us is so much greater than that. And the love we're called to have for one another and for him is greater than that. It's a love that says, I sacrifice for you. I put you ahead of me. There's something that I want or I need, but I'm going to sacrifice that for your wants and your needs because I love you. I sacrifice for you. So, friends, I would ask you today, do you love Jesus? Do you love God? Because here's what Dallas Willard says. It's one of my favorite authors. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. I love that part. Sometimes we convince ourselves. I be- yeah, I believe that. We believe something when we act as if it were true. So I'm asking you guys to act as if it were true. On your seat when you came in, there was a, a Team 60 card. Team 60 is kind of like our uh, pathway to, to tithing, if that's something that you want to do. Uh, it's $60 a week, uh, which happens to be about what the average American household spends on Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, you're already spending it. I'm just asking you to put Jesus and Prime on the same level. It's it's not a tithe, it, unless you make up $31,000 or less a year, then uh, then it would be a tithe. But uh, if anything above that you make, it's not a tithe, it's just a pathway to tithing, and I'm not worried about the number. Like, it's not legalistic to me. I just want you to stretch yourself. You can change the number. You can do whatever you want. Uh, again, I'm not your boss. I'm just telling you to trust in Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I'm not asking you to do anything. And in fact, please do not turn in a Team 60 card this week. You don't even have to give any money at the offering this week. I, I do not. I want you to go home and ask God what, you, what he thinks you should give. I want you to get with your spouse and pray. Say, God, what do you feel are leading us to give? Not what does Pastor Blake want. Because I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. We want your heart. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship God. Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you that you are the epitome of love. And what love looked like for you was generosity. You opened yourself up. You took on flesh, walked amongst us. And as we spit in your face, you died for our sins. Lord, in in my own life, as I often can wallow in negativity and Getting a, a mindset of being a victim all the time, Lord. It's so easy to not be grateful for what you've given me. It's so easy to not be generous with what you've given me. And yet, Lord, if I believe that everything I have is from you and for you, it's a test to prepare me and to reveal. God, then I can live a generous life. And I pray that for these people. Lord, I pray For somebody today who maybe has never seen the person of jesus his goodness and his grace god i pray that they would see you for who you are and lord i pray that they would take on the posture of i don't know how it's going to work out but i trust you and so i'm going to do whatever it takes i'm going to jump out of the plane right now friends if you would take about 20 seconds and just say holy spirit what are you saying to me through this message Father God, we praise you and we thank you. We ask that you give the courage to help us obey through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the grace you freely offered us through Jesus Christ. It's in your name I pray, amen. Friends, the only response to the gospel of Jesus is worship. So we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and then we're gonna go live lives of worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.